John 6, 16 through 21. When the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. They were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Awesome. Thanks, Kayla. So these uh, three words that start the moment that we're talking about when evening came. When John's letting all of us know that evening had come, I don't think he's only talking about the actual time that it is. I don't think it's just a statement about chronology, even though sequence and chronology is important to all of us. Things need to happen in a orderly fashion, and it's more helpful when we know what's coming and what happens, what we do when it's light out, what we do when it's dark out. But John says when evening came. I think it's much more of a statement about the moment that they're in. I think it's a description of the season of their soul, that darkness has fallen. You know, they've just witnessed this incredible moment where Jesus has fed like 50% of the population of Galilee, like 20,000 people. They've just been in that moment, and Jesus sends them across the lake alone when it was dark. And I don't know how many of you have traveled in a boat when it's been dark before, but marinas don't really like that. They sort of have rules. If you're going to go out in a boat when it's dark, you need to make sure that you're prepared for your boat to do what your boat is supposed to do. You need to have lights on your boat. Like There are precautions that are taken. You can't just jump into a boat when it's dark and go out to sea. It's just unwise. And yet, this is the moment that disciples have been in. And I just think in the room today, we can all raise our hand and talk about some moments when evening has come. And it's not because it's 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, but I think evening has come in the hospital. Like we've, we've had a moment. I think evening has come in the, the basement of our house. I think evening has come when we've received a, a phone call or a text message or a knock on the door. It's when you have that pit in your stomach. Do you know what I'm talking about? Evening has come for the disciples, and despite all of their efforts, they find themselves in the middle of a storm. And it's a serious storm. And sometimes when we talk about this, we're like, well, <laughs> these disciples were fishermen. Like, this was their thing. It's like a teacher standing in the front of a classroom that is out of control, and they've just gone chaotic. We're like, well, but yeah, this is like what you do. So you should be used to that happening. And when actually the fisherman and the teacher would both say, because I do this every day, I know the danger that I'm in. 
I actually have a, a greater understanding and appreciation for how dark it is because I can tell you what happens if I don't get this classroom under control real quick. And I can tell you how powerful and how devastating these waves can be on this sea because I've, I've been here. I know it more than anyone. There's an intimacy with the power that I have. And so this is the moment that the disciples are in. And later in John chapter 16, Jesus is having a discourse with his disciples. And he just says, hey, look, like in this world, you will have trouble. Like you're not going to be able to outrow or outrun or outthink the trouble that's going to fall. Because darkness is going to come, it's going to hit. And then later we hear in the book of James, a relative of Jesus, who says, hey, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. When you encounter trials, storms, moments of many kinds. And so storms and difficulties and, and darkness, it just doesn't take one form. It takes all different kinds of forms. And the book of John is not the only place where we see this story pop up. It's also in Matthew. And Matthew says something interesting. He says that the disciples are beaten by the waves. Anybody know about that? It's this word in the original language, basani zamanan. They're beaten by the waves. Like it's not just splashing in their face. It's not just rocking the boat. Like it's crashing into their story. And Jesus has promised like, hey, like this is going to happen. In the world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've already overcome it. Like it's already happened. It's been signed and it's been sealed. It's been promised and it's been given. But it doesn't take the darkness away in the moment, does it? And so in the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world and consider it joy when you encounter trials and storms and darkness of many kinds. And so I think we can talk about like relational storms. And so for some of us, the storm that we're in today has to do with relationship with somebody. And there's a brokenness, there's a pain, there's a grief there. And you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing. I think it's possible for us to come around emotional storms when like you're just not okay. And you know it. And the other people around you know it, like you're just not you. I think we can find ourselves in financial storms where it's like, man, I don't know if there is another side to this deal. Because I'm kind of a numbers person and I'm looking at the numbers and I'm going, it just doesn't match up. And even though last week we were just in this moment with a few fish and a few loaves of bread and 20,000 people and 12 baskets, like, yeah, I know, but like, but what, look, I think there are health storms we find ourselves in. Like, there is just such an anxiety, I think, 
that comes when like our body is not doing the thing that it should do. Or somebody that we love, that we care about, like their body is just not doing the thing that it should do anymore. Like that just causes, I think, if we're honest today, a lot of us to just go, man, like, that's heavy. So evening has come. Even though they had this incredible moment on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they've rowed their little hearts out. Three, I love the, I love the Bible. Three or three and a half. There's just incredible moments in the Bible, and you just can't miss them. Like three or three and a half. And how many of you know that, like, when you've, we've gone a long enough distance, like, it could be three miles, it might as well be 300 miles because of what you feel in your soul. This is the moment that the disciples are in. So a Sea of Galilee, I want to show it to you. Here's a Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. It's about 12 miles in length. It's about 7 miles wide. It's about 157 feet at its deepest point. Not a place you want to jump into without a life jacket. It's dangerous, but it's also beautiful. It's the setting for a lot of Jesus' miracles. And it's amazing. Jesus does miracles above the water, and he also does miracles below the water. And I think that's just John's like winking at us and being like, hey, he's king over it all, you guys. He's king over it all. The stuff you can see and the stuff that you can't see, the stuff you can touch and the stuff that you couldn't possibly touch, he's king over it all. And he speaks to it all. He holds it all in the palm of his hand. And so he can do miracles above the water and then he can miraculously bring all these fish into the disciples' net. This is an amazing, cool story of God's abundance and his love and his grace and his goodness to his people. The Sea of Galilee is like 600 feet below sea level. So why that matters is it's easy for storms to pop up on the Sea of Galilee because it's warmer than the, has warmer air than some of the surroundings, and it's also surrounded by hills and by mountains. You can kind of see that. So sort of surrounded. And so you can imagine, oh, it would actually be pretty easy for like that warm air to meet that cold air. We know what happens. You know, we've, we've watched enough Jay Trilbeck in our life, Phil Shrek, who's ever on your team. We've watched enough of that to know when warm air meets cold air, there's chaos. There's the potential for storms. And it would be easy for the wind to kind of blow down into this valley 600 feet below sea level and just stir things up. And I have another video sent to me by my friend who was at the Sea of Galilee one day, and this is what happened. So as calm as we just saw it be, it also has this potential. I don't know how many of us would be happy to be in one of those little boats, the boats that are discipled in is probably not this like big, huge vessel. They actually found it 
later on. And we understand, like, we have a healthy fear of the water. Like, some of us are like, I'm good. I'm more of like a person who watches people get in the water. I'm, like, good at driving the boat. I don't really, like, get on the tube. Some of us in this room are like that. While some of us are like, let's get on the tube and let's go, some of us are like, pass me another lemonade, would you? We have this like healthy fear of the water, and I have to tell you, in the ancient world, they had a fear of the water too. They knew its power. They knew its crushing ability to change things in an instant. Psalm 93, that's up on the screen this morning, we find these words, the seas have lifted up, O Lord, the seas have lifted up, their voice, the seas have lifted up, watch it, they're pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So even though in the ancient world they could understand the great power of the water, they also understood the great power, the might of their Savior and King and God, Jesus. And we know about that. Um, I want to show you something that pro surfers wear. It's uh, called a compression jacket. And you're thinking, oh, that's great. If you're like surfing in huge water, like huge waves, then it might be good to have something that looks like a life jacket, except this is not a life jacket. It's a compression jacket. And you're like, well, Dave, what does it do? Let me tell you what it does. It doesn't help you float if you fall off your board and you're in trouble. What it does is it protects your chest if you hit a wave. And it helps your intestines from protruding out of your chest. It protects, it squeezes everything tight. So we know about the great power of the water and what it can do. And they're only $1,000. So if you're looking for that, that's an option for you today. And if you're reading John 6 and you're like, man, this sounds a whole lot like the Exodus. Like you're on to something. Because I think John is pointing us back. Like, hey, do you remember when the Israelites were called out of Egypt? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember how I provided food in abundance? We talked about last week. Like hundreds of miles in every direction. Quail three feet deep. You're just walking through quail. And then there's a moment when they're going to cross the Red Sea like this powerful body of water. We're not talking about the big Sioux and whatever is in there. I'm not sure. We're talking about the Red Sea, this, like, this powerful, powerful, powerful body of water. And then there's a moment and Moses is standing in the water and it just parts in the middle. There's a little controversy right now about where we parked our hair. It's a middle part or a side part, right? That's kind of a thing going on, all right? I think you can, I'm just going to tell everybody in the room today, you can part your hair however you want, all right? But there's this part that happens right in that moment. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they walk across the land. It's no longer sea, but it's land. God has shown up in power when evening had come on the Israelites. And he's doing the same thing again here. And John wants to wake us up. Like, do you see the exodus? It's not something that just happens once, but I continue to save my people because I'm a saving God. I didn't just like wake up and do it one time. That's how good and gracious and powerful and mighty God is. 
He continues to show himself moment after moment, day after day, year after year. And this is happening here. And they walk through that water on the other side. And so even in the Gospels, when Jesus can say to the disciples, like, hey, come with me on the other side. Like, is, it, is he not talking about what happened in the Exodus? Is he not wanting to wake up their Hebrew history minds? And this is what I am always doing. I'm always carrying you out of the place where you have lived into a different place. So he can say at the end of his life, gathered around all his disciples, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It just sounds like the exodus to me. I'm going to take you on the other side. And that's what's happening here. And so Jesus, we find from the other gospel writers that he's praying away from the crowd. And we think it's likely he's praying away from the crowd because that's a big crowd and many in the crowd perhaps wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. And so 5,000 men, like that's enough for an army. And in typical Roman fashion, they would kind of build armies in that way. You need about 5,000 to like overtake something. And so they're in that moment where like, hey, there's some people who say, yep, this teaching is awesome. This healing is awesome. We need to get this emperor out. He done. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not why I'm here. So he goes away to pray and he sends the disciples in the dark to go to the other side. He sends them from the east side of the Sea of Galilee, or over here, uh, to this area. So here's Capernaum, here's Bethsaida, here's the Gerasenes down here. And so they're like somewhere in this area and they're going to go bloop on the other side. And the disciples are rowing their hearts out. Like as fast as they possibly can. And Andrew and Peter and James and John and all of these other disciples... Levi called Matthew, Thaddeus, and I can just, can you just see him, can you just hear him talking to each other and giving them orders about what we should do next, and there's probably somebody who emerged as a leader, and you might be saying like, man, harder, 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 go, 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 and they're rowing their hearts out, and then something so beautiful they're rowing three or three and a half miles. And then the text says six words. Then they saw Jesus approaching the boat. They saw Jesus approaching the boat. And is this not what Jesus always does? He's an approaching God. He's not a distancing God. He's not a God who's trying to get as far away from the trouble as he possibly can. This is the power of the incarnation. He takes on flesh. He takes on everything that it is to be human. He steps down into human history. And this blessed woman in John chapter 8 who finds herself in just a really dark moment 
She's being accused of a sin, of a crime that would have led to her death. And more than stepping down into human history, Jesus even like bends down, like in the dirt with her. Like he's an approaching God. He's not distancing himself from you. He's not trying to get away from you. He's walking toward you. He's walking toward the boat, toward the trouble, toward the storm. And I just think that is such a beautiful thing that we have to remember in the midst of storms. This is his character. This is who he is. And so when you are falling apart emotionally, they saw him approaching the boat. And when you are falling apart with another person relationally, like we get to claim that he's approaching the boat when things in your health are failing or someone you care deeply about, their health is failing, like their body just isn't working the way that it once did. What we know from Jesus in the text is what is he doing? He's approaching the boat. And I think that's beautiful. Oh yeah, and he's walking on the water. So there's a whole thing about that. It's like, well, how's that possible? Because some of you in the room, you know about science and you know how density works and you could give me the formula for it and you could say it's impossible for a human being to walk on the water. It's one thing for the lizard, but don't talk to me about how a human can do it. And so it's this miracle, and what do miracles show us? I think miracles are intersections where God's power and his compassion meet to parade God's glory. You ever notice that in the scripture? Like in the scripture, it's not just about God's power. He doesn't just show up and like flex his muscles. Gotta be careful when I rip my shirt up here. He doesn't just show up in that moment, does he? He doesn't just show up with power. It's so beautiful. He also shows up with compassion. And so when people need to be fed, he shows up in power with the ability to provide and with the compassion at heart to give people something that they need. When there's somebody in the scriptures who can't walk or they can't see, he doesn't just show up in power. He shows up in compassion. When there's the man with the shriveled hand, when Jesus is teaching and Jesus calls him to the front. Like, hey, shriveled hand guy, come up. And he comes to the front and he heals him. He's not just showing power, but he's showing his compassion. And the, the combination, the intersection of God's power and compassion, I think it's just one big parade to give God all the glory and all the honor and all the praise forever and ever. And I think that's what's happening here. Jesus is walking on the water. He's approaching the boat in the dark. And I don't know how long Jesus was walking. I have no idea about how long that took him. You know, like a normal human pace, if you just kind of like walked normally to walk three, three and a half miles, it's probably going to take you about an hour to do. Some of us are fast walkers. 
Some of us are slow walkers. But as Jesus is walking on the water towards the disciples, this is not something that happened, I don't think, in an instant. But there was an approach. And so I just think for somebody in the room today, it's just good for you to hear that and God is like on the approach toward you. And yeah, he might not have like reached the boat yet. But man, he's on his way. He's an approaching God. So a couple of things before I invite the band up that I think this text shows us. I think one thing that it shows us is that Jesus is dangerous. I don't think that Jesus calls us to things that are easy and simple and clear. I think he calls us to get bumped by the winds and the waves. And when we planted this church in 2016, something that I thought about a lot is, you know, I, I wanted to be sure that when we have conversations around the scriptures and around who God is, I thought about what I wish I would have heard about as a kid a little bit more. And no person is perfect, no place is perfect. But are there some things we want to give voice to that I just don't have a, a memory of voice being given to, and this is one of them. As a kid, I, I felt I heard a lot about Jesus being humble and gentle and kind. And some of the churches I grew up in, there was even like a picture on the wall, and he just like, so like smiley Jesus. But the Jesus in the scriptures is dangerous. The Jesus in the scriptures calls the disciples in the dark to go across the Sea of Galilee three and a half miles. It's a dangerous assignment. And I'm just convinced, because this has been my experience, that the longer you walk with him, the, the longer you journey with Jesus, I think the more dangerous you will actually see him as being. But there is a holiness and a power and a compassion too. He doesn't just keep the disciples huddled with him on the Golan Heights, eating all the extra baskets of food. He says, no, like, you need to go on the other side. And of course the disciples are terrified. Of course they don't know what to do. And we are foolish if we think that we'll never be in that moment. There's this beautiful moment in the Chronicles of Narnia. And Mr. Beaver is having a conversation with some of these children. And he's talking to them about the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a lion. And his name is Aslan. And this is what you find. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So of course an afternoon with a lion's not safe. Of course, a, a life of obedient surrender to Jesus is not going to be something that is going to be without danger. But while it will not be without danger, it, it will be with his presence and his power and his compassion 
in your life. And so then Jesus shows up. He reaches the boat. And I love how John ends it. And they reach shore. I'm like, are you joking me? If you're going to talk about it was three or three and a half miles, tell me what happened. But he doesn't. And as much as we would love nice, tidy, neat conclusions, like we sort of a God who is mysterious above all of that. I love that John tells us that the disciples welcomed Jesus into the boat. Welcome to our storm. And he steps in. And I just have a million questions about how that all unfolded. But John doesn't tell us. And I think he wants us to wrestle with some mystery. Like he wants us to step out of our linear minds and to embrace the mysterious. Number two, the last thing, is that Jesus is on his own page. He doesn't need to obey the laws of water density because he wrote the laws of water density. So he's he's below and he's above. So he's on his own page. He does things his own way in his own time with his own voice. In the scriptures, when the religious leaders are saying about Jesus, like, man, like, he's just one who, like, teaches with authority. What they're saying is typically in the ancient world, when you would teach, you would talk about what your rabbi taught you. So rabbi so-and-so used to say, and then you would talk about what they would say. But Jesus doesn't quote any of the rabbis. What he does is he just says, hey, you've heard it said. But I say to you, and then he would fill in whatever he was going to say. He stands on his own authority, and the religious leaders are like, he's not quoting anybody. He's standing in his own authority as the Son of God. He's on his own page. And there are lots of fears and and phobias that we all wrestle with. There's all kinds of things that we could name today. I think there's a couple that you're born with. One is the fear of falling. You see this in babies. If they think they're going to fall, they like grab onto you. And the other is loud noises. So you can't just like sneak up on a baby. The rest of the fears that we carry in our hearts and our lives, I think are learned fears. I think we learn to fear the opinions of others. I think we learn to fear if we're enough. I think we learn to fear whether or not we're accepted. I think we learn to fear failure. And here's what's so beautiful about life with God, is that if we can learn to fear, can we also learn to trust? If we learn to kind of shrink back and get small and hide, can we also learn to trust and serve and worship the Jesus who's on his way approaching the boat. I'm going to invite the band up as we close this morning. And what I love most in this story, what I think is so beautiful and powerful and amazing, 
is that Jesus shows up when the shore is not in sight. So they're battling the winds and the waves. And it's not like, oh, like we're almost at shore, great. Can like kind of hop out and pull the boat. Because you know how that is. You get close to shore, water gets shallower. You can just like hop out and pull it the rest of the way. Jesus shows up when there's no more shore. They can't see it. And Jesus shows up in that moment. And I think he shows up in that moment for a reason. I think the reason he shows up in that moment is he wants to teach the disciples and he wants to teach us you don't need the shore anymore. There was a season in your life when you relied on the shore, when the shore brought you comfort, the the shore brought you security. But in this moment, I am telling you, I'm showing you, I'm giving you an experience that you've outgrown the shore. And it's time for you to embrace the one who commands the winds and the waves. As followers of Jesus, we're just not called to be shore grabbers. Like, what can I do to make this okay? What can I do to make this safe? Like, what do I have in this moment that can make this all okay? Nothing. Except a voice calling out for the God who brought that whole nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the land of promise. The one who took the bread and the fish and he blessed God. Thanked God for what he didn't have and thanked God for what hadn't happened yet. And it's just provision all over the place. And I think it brings us to this like point of honesty. It's like how much have we trusted the shore? Because if we can just get there, we're going to be okay. If we're just going to experience this, like well, it's going to make it okay. And Jesus, I think, wants to tell the disciples, hey, don't seek the shore. Like, seek my hand. Like, seek my name. Seek my power. Seek my way of life. And yeah, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. Like, ov- overcome the world. And that's not to to diminish or demean any kind of trouble that anybody in this place is walking through. But I actually think when Jesus wants us to take our eyes off the shore and onto him, I think it's actually grace. Because that shore is not helping you in the way that you thought it was. And so we're in good company today. Because the people who have gone before us have found themselves getting thrown around in that sea with the water all stirred up. And what I'm going to ask you to do today, at some point today, is just to sit with God. And I would just love for you to ask him what shores your hand reaches for. Like, what are those things? What is that comfort? What is that security within you? If we can have some understanding around that, 
I think we'll be willing to go further with this God who's a bit dangerous. Because it turns out, as C.S. Lewis says, God just doesn't want a branch here or a branch there. He wants the whole tree down. So a branch over here and a branch over here, it's not going to work for God. He needs to take the whole tree down. He needs all of us. And when we step into that moment, that's where we find resurrection. Because you don't need resurrection if nothing's died. You don't need resurrection if nothing's dark. You don't need resurrection without the smell of death. And I think ultimately on the Sea of Galilee, what's happening, I think Jesus is seeking to put to death some shores that reigned mighty in the lives and the hearts of the disciples. And I just wonder today if you can identify with that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you today for these people and for the power of this story. It's a story that we often find in Sunday school and little kids gathered around a teacher and they talk about waves are scary and wind is frightening but Jesus calms the storm and I love today that the truth we can really come around is that to follow you is to embrace adventure and danger and uncertainty. But to follow you is also to find what our souls really need and want. And it's a place of refuge that cannot be taken from us. A place of refuge that will never be buried into the ground. It will never be lost because it has been forever sealed in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. And so God, we know in this room that there have been seasons all our lives where we've sought to create the security through being right, tried to create security through doing things alone. We've tried to create security by pushing people who disagree with us away. We've tried to create security by denying what's really true, what's really within us, what's really over us. What we find in this moment is, oh God, it is far better to have eyes that are sealed on the one who's approaching the boat and to call on his name. So God, I pray that you would find this community faithful in that. And you would find us faithful in reaching for you and seeking you and having some hard conversations with you about why it took so long to walk those miles and how painful it's been waiting for you. 
and how much we stand in need of resurrection. God, the greatest thing that could be said of us, the greatest thing that could be said in our lives, the greatest thing that could be said about this community is that this is a place where resurrection has happened. And that would give us hope for any wind that might blow, any waves that might crash upon our lives. God, thanks for these people. I love them, and I'm thankful to stand in this moment with them. We trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand, and we're going to sing one more song together.